Hi, I'm Ben Strivens. He's John O. Scott. Hi. And together, we watch anything. We trawl the depths of Netflix to find three films of the same genre, of the same genre, and watch them so you don't have to. I take one, he takes one, and there's one we both watch. So you know when to hit play and when to run away. Hello and welcome to all the people who I hope have not just run away at how terrible that intro was. Not anything to do with Jono, but I was. we've been trying to find um, something to replace the smash with your fist. And I'm not really sure that we, uh, we, we dialed it up to 11 on that one. Mm. But it's the best I could come up with off the top of my head. And uh, it was admittedly. Not that inspirational. So, anyone out there, if you can think of a better one, please, please, please save us for having to use this one over and over again. Right, that's the mouthy bit at the top of the podcast. Jono, <laughs> how are you? Bit. Yeah, I'm fine, dude. I'm fine. I'm pleased that we've recorded a new intro, but let's not talk about that now. And I'm looking forward to talking about these films. Because, again, we've, uh, it feels like I watched these a while ago, so I had to do a bit of a refresh and stuff yeah. like that. So, But, yeah, so I've been, I've been looking forward to talking about them for some time. And um, listeners uh, may be interested to know that, in fact, we would have done this yesterday. Only I was cancelled because of The Walking Dead. Well, it's not my fault that the, uh, the Series 7 started again. It was not only The Walking Dead. I also had to um, finish watching Apple Tree Yard. And if you are in the UK and have a chance to watch that on iPlayer, that's absolutely awesome. If you're in the US, dig it out, because it's a great bit of um, twisty, turny, crimey, courtroomy, dramery greatness. Oh, is it? Is it really good? Yeah, it's crackingly good. It's Emily Watson, who I just love. Is it Watson? Um, and uh, Ben Chaplin as well, who's quite good. Oh, lovely Ben Chaplin from yeah. Game On. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's really good. It's really, oh, good. it's really, it's really twisty turny. It's very, very good. Um, this time around, we're going to talk about um, these dystopian movies. Before we launch into that, I want to just reference a little bit of our last podcast mm-hmm. because, uh, interestingly enough, and also possibly slightly disappointingly, I'm going to have to apologise a little bit, even though there was no foreknowledge to. Um, Jamie, a lovely listener who suggested the martial arts thing, because he said the movie that made him suggest martial arts as a topic was actually watching It Man. So um, <laughs> we managed in our three movies to hit on the one thing that uh, that he had already seen. But notwithstanding, um, we still you know it, it opened our eyes to an awesome Odyssey, and Jamie I've met a couple, and a couple yeah. of people have um, told us that they've watched It Man since and absolutely loved it too. But yeah. what I found really surprising, and something that you alluded to, and I slightly poo-pooed, I think, in the last podcast, is how many best of lists Legend of Drunken Master appears on. Hmm. And I thought people were just, you know, thought there was some some um, title confusion, or whatever. But no, legitimately, loads people of people it, have it in yeah. their top ten martial arts movie. Um, Roger Ebert gave it four stars and waxes eloquent about Buster Keaton and Jackie Chan <laughs> and I was just reading it going really we watched different movies well no actually we didn't we watched the same movie but you and I could never talk about this apart from the fact that he's dead because I think we want different things yeah yeah, and that's, yeah. He, he was he was loving it being Buster Keaton-y and I was hating it being Buster Keaton-y so well I meant what I said before that I, I mean I do quite like him being Buster Keaton-y at times but I don't like it in the films where keep the tone keeps changing too much. But sometimes when he's in full-on Buster Keaton mode, I don't mind Jackie Chan being Buster Keaton. I mean, apart from anything else, my first knowledge of of, of him was in Cannonball Run, oh, where yeah, he's definitely said. being, you know, comedic. I know, I love him there. I, I guess it was, well, Ebert was talking about these jaw-dropping fight scenes. And I was thinking, God, these, like, pantomime fight scenes, they're rubbish. <laughs> anyway, we've been there, we've done yes. that, we're not going to retread. We're going yeah. to Pastures New, we are moving on. To our dystopian movies. Yes. And you say Pastures New, although this is quite similar to the post-apocalyptic <laughs> episodes. I think it's quite hard to, to separate the two. <laughs> I, I guess I guess the most truly dystopian things on Netflix right now are probably the um, things like The Hunger Games. But yeah. I don't think we could really do The Hunger Games for a no, podcast. No, far too popular. Far too may, popular a couple of people it. have seen it. Yeah, something actually, yeah. I, I really enjoy the Hunger Games movies. But well, I, I, I've, I've read the books. No, that's oh, not true. I've, listened to, I've listened to the audiobooks, but I've, oh, yeah. I've never seen the films yet. Although I fully intend to, but I just haven't got around to it. Obviously, you know, I think a lot of people use, um, let's, let's say, post-apocalypsis. 
to uh, to still start our dystopian thing. Um, mm. Although I'm not sure that has to be true. I don't think you don't necessarily need an apocalypse to start because I think a lot of the time, you know, people feel like we're moving into a dystopian future now, but. It you know doesn't doesn't quite require a cataclysmic world shattering event. No, I mean I think when I think of dystopian movies, I do think of more of films more like Brazil or, or something yeah. like that, isn't it? And and I don't. Or even nineteen eighty four. Yeah, nineteen eighty four exactly, definitely. Um, v for Vendetta, maybe. Um, yeah, very and, much. And, and, and a film that I would probably list there, I think, but I've never seen, but really want to see one day is Gattaca. Isn't that a kind oh, of Have you dystopian? never seen Gattaca? No, never seen it. It's one of those kind of things I've heard so many good things about. Oh, and I'm wow. sort of saving it for a rainy day. I just really day. expected you to have seen it. No. Well, anyway, I mean, I'm ready to go into mine if you want to hear about mine. Because, I would absolutely love, because I cannot remember what you did. Well, mine, just to say, is it, it touches on this point exactly. Mine is kind of a post-apocalyptic film that's sort of dystopian in that way, but it doesn't feel dystopian in the way that something like, I assume, Gattaca or Brazil does. <laughs> but anyway, it still it fits the brief, all right? It's dystopian. Right. Anyway, it's called Air. It's from 2015, mm-hmm. and the, uh, the I think the reason that a lot of people might give it the time of day is that it's got the lovely Norman Reedus as one of the main stars. Oh, hooray. Who plays what's his name in Walking Dead? What's his name character Darryl. name, dude? Daryl in The yeah. Walking Dead. One of the key ingredients into the awesomeness of The Walking Dead. Although um, criminally underutilised at the moment. Oh, really? I don't yeah. know enough about because I, I, I've stopped watching at season three and I'm just waiting until yes. I can catch up some other time. Uh, not because I wasn't enjoying it. But anyway, I love him. And um, the other main... So, so yeah, well, so he's in it. And Jaiman Honsu, who... Um, I think you do you know his name? I mean, he's I do, like, yeah. He, you know, in Gladiator, Amistad. Yeah, yeah, he's in tons of stuff. He's great. Yeah, and very um, angry face. Yeah, very, yeah, exactly. I mean, I love his angry face in Gladiator. Yeah, That's yeah, a really good bit when he's just screaming after a battle. Anyway, those are the main two guys in this, and it's basically it's set in a future where there's been, I don't know whether it's actually a nuclear war or some kind of some kind of cataclysmic war yeah. involving chemicals and probably nuclear, whatever's. <laughs> means that the, the the air on Earth is no longer breathable. And sure. I don't think they ever say what year it is, but the point is that because of this war, most of humanity's been killed. And all that's left behind are these kind of um, uh, stations where... Station. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> where These kind of stations where they keep a, a network of these sort of underground bunkers, I suppose you'd call them, where okay. a whole load of people that have been chosen... Um, are kept in sort of stasis pods asleep, like and the main sort of brains and things. Yeah, sort of bra- yeah. yeah, the great and the good, should we say? Yeah. And so Norman Reedus and Jaiman Hunsu are these two. Um, they're sort of like the technicians, and their job is what happens is that like basically the the, the machines that run they, they're also in stasis, and every now and then they're woken up. You know, every few months, yeah, they run some tests to see if the air is still not breathable. They check that you know they check that everyone who's asleep is all right, and then they go back to sleep again. That so basically, the quite machine quite easy job. Yeah, the machine sort of pipes in enough air for them to kind of to breathe for a couple of hours. Yeah, and they've got a big sort of quite old school analog clock on the wall that cuts that counts down the time when they have to go to sleep again. Sure. So they they're basically maintenance dudes, you know, grunts in a way. And, um, but rather luckily, so are the, is, are they waiting for the Earth to to sort itself out, or are they like terraforming th- machines out there? No, no, I think they I think they're just waiting for the air to, to sort itself out. Okay, but there's quite a lot a lot in this plot that's left unsaid. But you know, it's quite you know that's basically the setup. Yeah, and we get to know them quite quickly. Basically, Norman Reedus is playing a character that's not a million miles away from his character on. Um, the Walking Dead, but for people who don't know it, you know, he's fairly nihilistic, fairly sort of roughly tufty, quite a grubby character in lots of ways. Okay. And um, and then Jaiman Honsu's playing a much more sort of soulful, kind of intense okay. character. And straight away you find out that they they both they've both had a lot of you know they both endured a lot to get to this point. Obviously, they right. everyone they ever knew is dead. Sure. And, um, <laughs> and there's one there's this bit when Jaiman Honsu is looking at these pictures of like his his loved ones and and Norman Reedus has got bits of like you know um 
you know, tape and written dead next to every single one of them to wind him up. And I just kind of think, I don't care how kind of desensitized you are. But I just can't imagine any time like going, Haha, your children are dead. That's quite funny. <laughs> your wife's dead. Your dad's dead. All dead. Yeah, so, but anyway, um, so... <laughs> I'm so pleased that you're such a post apocalyptic practical jokes as well. <laughs> but anyway, so the, the, the plot sort of uh, moves on a bit. Yeah. Um, you're told the story, by the way, through um, a certain amount of Basil Exposition y, but not too bad, but Basil yeah. Exposition y script at the, at the beginning. And also from, they'll every now and then they'll sit there and watch like old news clips, reruns that sort of explain things that have happened in the past. Yeah. But anyway, but the. One of their sleep pods um, goes wrong. It's suddenly they realise it's broken. There's a fire or something. I forget exactly the order, but the point is that now they're running out of air, and only one of them is going to be able to go to sleep. Um, and so they start thinking, okay, they know that they're part of a network of these monitoring stations. Yeah. And so they one of um, Jimon has to gets into a sort of you know a, a suit, a protective no bad air suit <laughs> no bad air suit that's a good one and yeah. goes and goes goes out hunting for new equipment but then basically the other sort of subplot which I will and then I'll stop my plot description is that he is really res- you know, he's seeing this woman who's kind of talking to him basically he's just seeing visions of this woman who is actually one of the sleeper trons you know, oh, okay but he's just she sort of appears before him and, and is asking him to do things and, and wants them to be together kind of thing. And I right. don't know whether it's ever quite I could never I haven't I need to rewatch it in a way because I couldn't quite work it out whether they were supposed to have already had a thing in the past. I think they were. I think they were sort of uh, like okay. formally in a part. But it was it was a bit ambiguous, which is why I'm being slightly vague yeah. about it. But anyway, that's his thing. He starts seeing this vision of this this woman who seems to be sort of urging him to do certain things. Anyway, so um, uh, things sort of detrimental to the uh, to the installation. Yeah, just... yeah, 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 yeah. And so it's it, it, the the set is quite sort of it's all very industrial. Everything's battered. Things are yeah. quite broken and shit. And it's like um, the computers don't look. You know, it's not science fiction in that. that is, the is it quite alien though, look... in that look? That yeah, sort of like yeah, that's it. Nostromo that's kind of vibe. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, sort of, and and everything's a bit battered, and. Um, it gets sort of quite exciting when they're hunting for the replacement stuff to try and fix their pods and stuff. But I'm going to come to my review because there's not that much more to say. And I don't want to say too much more because no. I, I really don't want to just say this film is a meh. Because I feel like that's such a sort of, you know, I want to enthuse about things. But the problem is I can't enthuse about that much <laughs> about this film. It's about an hour and a half long. Yeah. And it's just not that interesting I don't and and it's just the script is okay but the characters aren't that interesting and the gelic the the sort of the the sort of I, I th- a film like this would survive on the sort of electricity between Norman Reedus and Jimon and you just I, you just don't really get you don't get the impression they're sort of mates you don't get the impression they hate each other it's just sort of a sort of nothing there's no real sort of gelling between them no. it's just as actors and like you're not, you don't find yourself rooting for Norman Reedus's character, but you don't particularly root for for Jimon's either. And I think just basically, they they are the only two characters in it. Without giving away, you know, plot like there are, there are appearances of other actors, but basically it is just these two. So I think the fact that the film relies on these two <laughs> just means if you're not getting much of a spark from these two, it's ultimately. You know, the, the chemistry never fully clicks. And for that reason, you know, that's the essential ingredient. It, isn't it doesn't it, draw you in then. Yeah. You, yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. The, the, Who directed it, it? Do you know? Yes. The, the director's a bloke called do, 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 um, Christian Cantamessa. Um, and I didn't, I can't remember now from, I'll have to look him up again briefly, but what, what else he's worked on. Mm. But I mean, this thing is, this is well directed <coughs> in that, like, um, all the scenes sort of, you know, makes sense. It's been relatively well put together. Don't get me wrong. The lighting's okay. You know, it's not one of those films where you <laughs> kind of think... damning by fate praise No, no, but that. do you know what I mean? The no, lighting's no, but, okay. No, but do you know what I mean? We have done some amateurish films in this, oh, in this podcast. Oh, crikey, yeah. You know, but it, I'm, I'm we are not talking anywhere near, you know, 
some of the rubbish we've watched like Krampus the Christmas toilet but, but <laughs> it's just it's just but it is slightly meh you know, but if you they, can't they get is... your two actors if you've basically essentially just got two actors and your whole point in the movie is to get a relationship between them or to get you know to, to draw people in to care about what they're doing with each other or whatever then mm. you've sort of failed as a director I think you know you can make it look okay if you've got a good DP and you can make it make sense if you've got a good editor but as a director you need to be working on the story and making sure that story is is getting sure, part of that. Exactly, it's, it's you but, getting into the characters, isn't it? I uh, sure, but that's the thing. It's just like, well, who takes the full blame? I know the director is the director has to take the full blame in a way, but you know, it's it's partially the script, it's partially the actors, it's partially the director. You know, yeah. The, the thing is, it's not that bad. I mean, it only gets sort of like twenty percent on Rotten Tomato, and I think that's a bit harsh. Mm-hmm. But I can see why people are finding it, you know, it just... And I think as well, actually, for me, I was looking forward to seeing Norman Reedus, but I was looking forward to him, frankly, playing a slightly different character <laughs> and just playing roughly the same character. I just thought, oh, you know... And I did like watching Jaimin Hansu because he's, he's got a soulful face. I could watch he's him He's pretty magnetic, long. I think. Yeah, definitely. I totally agree. And I really enjoyed just, you know, watching him on screen. It just it didn't do it for me. And... I didn't come away hating it. I just it was just that feeling of oh, I wanted it to be better than that. But, yeah. yeah. Oh, so were you thinking a C minus? Yeah, I think C minus is about fair. Maybe a D plus. The thing is, it's not a bad film, but I do think this is me saying I've watched this film, you so you don't have to. I think the majority okay. of people will be disappointed by this film. I wouldn't bother. All right, because I was still by the end of that, I was still thinking, oh, maybe I'll give it a watch. I'm kind of, I'm still intrigued by the premise. I'm still intrigued by where the movie goes. I like, I like the idea that there's just two of them and Jaimon Hunts who buggers off in a suit and stuff, I mean, and he's seeing visions. That sounds quite cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, give it a go and report back. I always like hearing what you think of the same film, but personally, yeah. I would say don't bother. I mean, there, as I, I could just go on. I, oh, there's a Farrah Fawcett, po- Farrah Fawcett poster in the wall somewhere at one point. I quite like seeing her. Well, nice. Great. So the best thing about the movie is there's a Farrah Fawcett poster in it. Yeah. yeah <laughs> that is spectacular. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I mean, I'm just going to move on to mine then, because it seems Dude. that that's really not worth much talking about much more. No. Um, so mine is also something starting with the letter A. So the movie that you gave me it was called Automata. Now, Automata... Um, has a couple of things going for it. Interesting enough, it has a connection to our our double up movie, Cherry Two Thousand, seeing as it does have Melanie Griffiths in. Oh, I'd forgotten that. Oh, yeah, wow, good. it not only has Melanie Griffiths, it has an absolutely teeming cast of sort of bit players you've seen, and as the hero, we have Antonio Banderas, who I believe oh. was in the process of splitting up with Melanie Griffiths when they made this movie. Um, oh, really. Uh, and you also have Dylan McDermott, who I like a lot and is not used that much, and is in one of my all-time favourite dystopian, post-apocalyptic-style movies, Hardware. And Hardware is an awesome picture. So, um, this had a lot of things going for it. Uh, apart from this big... The, the front cover of the... What would be the front cover of the video box? You know, the, the thumbnail on Netflix. It's yeah. just this sort of big, worried-looking... Um, Antonio Banderas face um, and it looks he looks a little bit like Deckard from Blade Runner which is pretty much how we start the movie so well the movie starts with some um, uh, shots of the, old, of the planet Earth looking a bit messed up uh, and some text on screen telling us that global climate change has made it bad for everyone on the Earth and only 21 million people have survived so that's the the, the uh, the population of the Earth is 21 million people. Now, to put that in perspective, I guess the population of America right now is is a bit over 300 million, isn't it? So 21 million. Yeah. Uh, well, 21 million just about does London, actually, I think, probably. Yeah. Or maybe probably. London's... I think London's probably 14 million, actually. But um, well, It depends still. if, there, if, if you know, cause it expands when the commuters go. Yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> um, so, anyway, it's still not a great deal of people raised around the no. Earth. So what has happened is that uh, one company started making these robots called the Pilgrim 7000. And basically, these robots were all built... Um, they look a bit like a cross between a Star Wars... One of the sort of standy uppy Star Wars droids and a Lego robot kind of thing. They're just a bit... They're not They're not sort of sleek and sexy. They look, they look very functional. 
Oh, okay. Um, mm. And they made the the Pilgrim Seven Thousand to go out and do all the stuff they couldn't do, like go out into the desert and forage for stuff and go and because you just can't. They're, Stroke the, camels the, and things. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's exactly what they built them for. <laughs> but the humans, the humans are in these sort of controlled, climate controlled. Um, I biodomes? guess they're a bit like biodomes kind of thing. Yeah, they, they live in the Eden Project. Um, <laughs> Or in a truly awful but strangely compelling movie with Paulie Shore in. But, I was um, say, it's the only Paulie Shore film I kind of like. Yeah, uh, and Kylie. So, the humans live in these things, and, and what, that's where we go. We sort of get this this bump about what's happened to the planet, we and what's happened to the robots, and the robots um, have two prime directives. So we get a bit iRoboty about this. There are two protocols. One is no harming of humans. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other one is no self-repair. Oh. Because they don't want them to improve themselves and become... Become better. Become, become more better. Than they are. These, these things... I mean, there's just absolutely shed loads of them around. Right. And they yeah. do. they just do all the grunt work. And mm. they, you know, like I say, they go out and they do all the stuff in the desert that humans can't do. That's so they're just meant to be just these little kind of like total drones, basically. It's like humans are all queens and they have drones. Yeah. Um, and uh, we go, so we go into one of these biodomes or biomes or humanospheres or envirospheres <laughs> or whatever the hell they call humanospheres them. Humanospheres is um, good. And it, you immediately see the, uh, the, uh, the, what you call it, the, the Blade Runner connection. Because mm. it is dark and it is raining and there are neon signs and there are Japanesey bits and there's blinky bits and there's a car going through the rain and then there's um, Dylan McDermott in the car looking like a Blade Runner and uh, it, and it's very 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 obviously Blade Runner influenced and right. he we see the first we see him driving in this car and then you see him go and shoot a robot in the head right. because it would appear that the robot is repairing itself. Antonio Banderas works for the company that makes the Pilgrim 7000. Okay, yeah. So uh, we, the first time we see him is he goes to a house and he has been told by this husband that mm. uh, the robot has hurt one of the family members and uh, Antonio Banderas then decisive, decisively goes to prove that the robot like, physically cannot do that. Right. So uh, cue function uh, dysfunction in the family, and then uh, and then Banderas gets called to go and check out the robot that Dylan McDermott has effectively put down. I see. Okay. Um, and they go through and they they have a look at it and they do realise that it has been heavily modified. Um, but no one believes, absolutely no one believes that these robots are modifying themselves because it's part of their two protocols, the very core of their being, that they cannot do this. Um. Anyway, he goes to investigate further. He goes to see Melanie Griffith, who is a uh, professor, mm-hmm. and to talk to her about how this can happen, whether, you know, who might be modifying these robots. He also runs into a robot that he realizes is behaving erratically. It's sort of gone away from its path and it's gone and hidden somewhere, and, and then it kills itself, which is oh. quite weird for the robots. Um, but he goes to see. Weird. It is quite weird. He goes to see Melanie Griffith, and she has a bizarre sex robot. Um, <laughs> bizarre in the way that this thing looks like a like these robots. They they're about sexy. I'm, I was going to say they're about as sexy as a car, but people can find cars quite sexy. But they they look like they look like a, they look a bit like a smoother version of an undone transformer. Okay. So they still have like you know a bonnet style body or whatever and curvy bits, but one of them is meant to be a sort of sexy pleasure robot. And you go, that would just be really uncomfortable. There's nothing mm. sort of warm and pleasurable about that. But it, it can do ballet and it dances, um, and it also has the the voice of Melanie Griffiths. Anyway, at which point Melanie Griffiths gets assassinated. Well, so the sex robot that has sex with Melanie Griffiths has no, no, no. She's like not no, no, no. She's 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 sort of administering like a, a robot brothel essentially. So it's not having sex uh, with her. I see. She, oh, okay. she just has her sex robot thing that people, I guess, come along and you know and, and have sex some along to sexy it. time with. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. And then Melanie Griffiths gets assassinated by a ten-year-old, which is quite weird. Um, and the whole sort of movie sort of unfolds, and Antonio Banderas gets kidnapped and dragged out into the wasteland, and there are robots out there, and the robots are obviously becoming sentient kind of thing and there is a sort of breakaway band of robots 
who appear to be making a their own breed of new robot, which looks a bit like a cockroach, which they treat like a baby. Um, and it oh. all gets quite District 9. And it all gets incredibly, incredibly silly. Oh, really? Yeah. like For the first half hour or so, I was kind of like, this is utterly derivative, but I'm actually quite enjoying it, and I hope this goes somewhere cool. I was I'm, I'm, From your description, you know, what it was reminding me of was uh, Pandorum. Which is oh. utterly derivative, but I quite yeah, enjoy yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I'm totally with you on that. Totally with and, you. And and that's what I was saying. This sounds like, so, as you say, all the things that it's a, it's a, it's a mix of. But I was thinking it was sounding quite good. But it, it just what just goes. Look, it, goes, it doesn't. It, everything up to it 11, never it? becomes awful. It becomes a right. bit silly at times when the robots are being nice to Antonio Banderas and he doesn't know who's the goodies with the real people and the baddies and and um. There's, you know, the, the, there's a sort of it's it's really odd because we're in this sort of 21 million people are left dystopian future, and yet um, people are carrying on relatively as normal, just in a slightly more horrible place. And yes, that will probably happen, but I think behaviour patterns might change a bit. But also, it just I don't know. It um, I don't really know what it was trying to say. This is the thing. Mm. I'm not quite sure because something like this obviously has a message because it's sort of going, look, the future and robots can work together and humans don't. And this is good and these are bad. But it doesn't, doesn't really make the point of like, what is so good about this? I don't, I just don't know. I couldn't work out what its purpose was really. And that's... Was it trying to question, was it trying to make us worry about the future of artificial intelligence was it doing that kind of thing no because they're seen very much as a good thing it's almost it was it'd almost be a propaganda film for artificial intelligence it's um <laughs> the humans are awful and the robots are quite nice in general um mm. and it, it's like it's, it's much more like district nine where right. you sort of get that sort of sympathetic picture of the you know the, the prawns the aliens yeah. yeah um and that's a bit more... They they, they feel quite District 90. And Antonio Banderas just sort of bumbles around in the middle, being a bit confused. And there's a subplot, his wife's having a baby. And that just, you know, I think that, that's the other thing. I think there's meant to be the symbolism of new birth from there and then the aliens, uh, the, the robots the make their new yeah. baby cockroaches. And frankly, look, I'm not going to say don't watch this. And I don't really... I may have given away too much. I don't think I have, because I still... No, I don't nothing, think so. Nothing in the movie is... Um, well, I was going to say nothing surprising, but... Many of getting sound, shot by a ten-year-olds quite surprising. Yeah, I suppose maybe and that, that never gets it explained. Sound too twisty, but it's not too twisty. It it plays out how you think it's going to play out. You could do watch than wor- watch than worse. This you could do worse than watch this, but at the same time, you could also go and do something else, like play the ukulele. Play the ukulele. Exactly, that's a much better idea. Or you could mm. watch this while playing the ukulele, which is exactly what I did. But you <laughs> could. There's a lot of things you could do instead of watching this movie. Like I'm going to give it a C minus because I didn't think it was toilet, but I also don't think it's that great. I think there's some really interesting things it starts to do, and then it just it just kind of goes crumble, 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 and you just start going, oh, I just don't care that much, and I'm sure this is going to happen. Oh yeah, look, that happened. Mm. Yeah, mm. there we go. What was it like seeing Antonio Banderas on screen? Because I'm quite a fan of his. Without, I don't don't slavishly watch everything he's in, but I generally like watching him when he is in stuff. I mean, I used to really love, you know, the 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 mariachi films and Desperado. And stuff. Yeah, no, no, I, I I absolutely love them, and he feels a lot a lot shorter in this than he did in them. He felt, didn't feel that short in those movies, but maybe it's because I know mm. how short he is. But yeah. uh, I think that. It was nice to see him. I always liked seeing Antonio Banderas. Yeah, but he was all a bit... He was, he was just being a bit worthy and a bit embattled and mm. less fun. He's Even though he's so serious in the, in Desperado, he's still quite fun. Oh, there's loads of... Yeah, yeah. loads of fun. Yeah, um, definitely. And it, it, this wasn't just... A, this wasn't much fun. I'm not really recommending it to anyone. If um, you're on a plane and all the options are Night at the Museum, one, two, and three, or <laughs> Automata, watch Automata. It's going to be better than that. But... Mm. Uh, otherwise, like don't don't go rushing to your Netflix controller to try and dig this one out of the vaults. I'd say. Okay. So, we've both Good. done modern movies. This was two, this is twenty fifteen as well. I think twenty fifteen, twenty sixteen. So we've both done a okay. modern movie in our dystopian bit. Re- rewind back in time to Cherry two thousand. Cherry two thousand, which came out in nineteen eighty seven. Oh Although, yeah. It was. There's a little bit more to the story because it was. It was filmed in 1985, I believe, and uh-huh. then just sort of, and then was shelved for a bit because the marketeers, you know, 
weren't really sure what to do with it. I think is the the short version of the story. Yeah. But anyway, let's let's should we give them the plot? Go for it. Um, go for it. You do it. Well, first of all, the exciting thing was that we told you about this last time, so we've got our first listener reviews. Woo-hoo! But anyway, Cherry Two Thousand. It's from nine eighty seven. It's about an hour and thirty nine minutes long, and it's set in the year twenty seventeen, which is why we decided to do it. Yes. And it's set in a future where. There's been it's an it's another basically post-apocalyptic film, isn't it, Ben? Yeah, I'm not sure quite what the apocalypse is. No, it's, they, just, they, it's pretty never really t- say. It's pretty Mad Max derivative. Whatever the yeah. whatever happened, basically. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. So it's a post-apocalyptic California, and yes. um, apart from actually, there is. I'm, I'm saying that that's a lie, I guess, because Mad Max everything is sort of sparse and thingy. And actually, we start off in kind of an, an urban place and a bit of a conurbation. Yeah, that's right. And so the the main guy is this bloke called Sam, who's played by. Um, Don't oh, ask me to uh, do names. No, I've got it. I've got it. I've got it in my notes. Uh, David Andrews. There we go. He he plays Sam Treadwell. That's it, right? Yeah. And so he he's a he's quite a successful dude. He manages a recycling plant because yeah, it's set in the future where because there's been an apocalypse, everything's a bit rubbish and everyone has to reuse things. So it it paints a picture of this dystopian world where everyone's really big on recycling stuff. <laughs> Basically, a lot of this movie, a lot of the opening bit of this movie is people just turning up to their local dump. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, and he sees his friends there, and they're kind of getting the right lines. Oh. Yeah, but his Sam's big thing, his is his his companion, which is a Cherry Two Thousand, because in this dystopian future, lots of people, not everyone, but lots of people, have basically replicant, sexy replicant robots, where you put a little tiny disc behind their ear, yeah, and that's their and that's their personality. But and it's he's not. Got, it's about the personality there as well. It's not just about the. Uh, the fact that they're good looking and sexy. No, types. exactly. No, he's got Cherry Two Thousand, who's a top of the range robot, but also has got this amazing personality. Yeah, and she's a lifelike robot who caters for his every need. You know, that's the idea. And is in and, love with him. And is in love with him. Yeah. And yeah, and basically, right near the beginning, she, he, you, you know, you've had a bit of scene setting. He comes home, and she's sort of, she's, you know, she's sort of saying. Hello, darling, I love you, and sort of making his perfect food, which happens to be burger and chips, I've noticed. <laughs> I'm never going to call him the world's most sophisticated man. But then they start having some, some, some fun times, and, um, <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and they don't notice that their futuristic they have dishwasher some fu- is... They have some fun times on the floor. Now, I don't even think it's a dishwasher, though. I think she's doing the washing up. Oh, but right, in this it? just ridiculous sink. It's one of those things where they've kind of gone, it's the future. So there's no reason for form to follow function. Let's just design something bulbous, because the yeah. future will be bulbous. Anyway, it spurts out soapy water all over the floor, and you sort of think you're going to get some sort of full nudie action, but basically they're, they're getting, I think some people say hot and heavy. Don't That's they? exactly the expression I was going to use, yeah. <laughs> they're getting hot and heavy. Um <laughs> And um and she and she gets some liquid in her and oh I don't know where what, what, not I, like and, that <laughs> not like that and she shorts out her eyes go all dead and and blah blah which frankly is weird considering she's this sort of all-purpose robot and you go oh well she's not waterproof <laughs> yeah exactly which is ridiculous <laughs> but it goes it goes wrong and so basically that's the setup because this guy he's really in love with his robot yeah and so, and he, so he, he pops her disc out. So he pops a disc out. He takes her to a technician who says, "No, sorry, this woman, this this robot is fried." And he says, "Look, you can have this one. Put the personality in this one, this one." And he goes, "No, no, I really want you know my one." And it turns out that the only place where he might be able to find another Cherry Two Thousand who looks exactly like his Cherry Two Thousand is in a a sort of desert zone. Yeah, because in it, the lawless it, sort outside of, of sort of the civilized bits, <laughs> yeah. there are just there are set there are zones. And in one of them is a sort of warehouse of um, sort of like shelved sex robots or something. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. No, or something about it. That's mothballed. Exactly That's the word I was going to use. Mothballed. <laughs> anyway, he so he goes to um, so he goes away from his city to a slightly sort of more dangerous. He goes to the seedy uh, side frontier, of town. I'd have thought. A yeah. Fr- yeah, sort of a frontier zone kind of thing, isn't it? A bit yeah. like um, a bit like Moss Eisley, really. Yeah, yeah, and um. And he meet, and he wants to get a tracker because he needs a tracker to take him into the really bad zone. And long story short, he ends up meeting Melanie Griffiths, who Griffith, sorry, who um, 
who's going to lead him through the lawless zone and um, and help him out. And he's not initially and... satisfied with her because no. um, he doesn't. I don't <laughs> think he really wants a girl. Um, no, exactly. I think there's basic sexism. There. Yeah, he just, he just goes, "Oh, you're a girl." <laughs> so he goes looking for some dude called Six Finger Pete or something, um, yeah. and goes into the like he does. It's a classic like Wild West by watching through the door, all the music stops, and everyone looks. Yeah, yeah. Um, because also he does look a bit like a tool in the jacket he's wearing and everything yeah I, th- I think he looks a lot like a tool yes yes and it's all yes. full of rough types who sort of tell him oh the bloke he's looking for is dead yeah and it all sort of gets a bit overwrought and then Melanie Griffiths turns up as a sort of a rescuer yeah and then so she does lead him out and I think one more thing we should say just quickly is that she drives a kick-ass muscle car oh um, yeah her car is awesome I, yeah it's really cool it's like a Big Hulk kick. I don't know. I, I don't know enough about muscle cars, but you know, just one of those I think big it is famous a Mustang, muscle cars. Is it a Mustang? I could be wrong. I don't know, but it's been adapted. It's got special yeah. dials and can go really fast at times and stuff. And um, and she's a pretty pretty cool chick, really. And the other thing to say about it is that when he actually just rewind a little bit, is that one other quite cool scene near the beginning that paints the picture of this dystopian future is that they just go to a club and where people are having. You know, men and women are interacting and meeting, but it's all like lawyers are there because they have to before they can even go on a date. They kind of they have you know, oh yeah like ultimate prenuptial agreements. And do you remember Lawrence Fishburne's in that? Yeah, scene? I've forgotten about that. Really, <laughs> yeah. Lawrence Fishburne. This is why the, one of the reasons why he wants a cherry two thousand because mm. basically you have to take your lawyer to go and hook up with someone. Yeah, because yeah, it's all ev- yeah, everyone's become so yeah, it's, yeah. yeah. Whereas you know, I'm, you just go get cherry and all things are sorted. So, when should we carry on discussing plot, or do you think this is when we get well, to what essentially, we about him? essentially, you know, he hooks with Manny Griffith. She helps him. She takes him through the different zones of the wasteland, and uh, over the course, I would say, of this journey, uh, their relationship develops, and he has to make a choice between going with his artificial girl, or mm. potentially. To no one's surprise, hooking up with Melanie Griffith. Well, I say mm-hmm. that's no one's surprise because, frankly, I have no idea what she sees in him whatsoever. Um, <laughs> apart from anything else, he rather creepily has like a little digital recorder that he puts Cherry's voice in <laughs> and just plays her at him all the time, like a weird. Yeah. That's really yeah, creepy. He's just got a recording of her voice that just says things, "I love you," and he just kind of plays it. It's when he has so weird. <laughs> Um, okay. But they sort of they they meet a few allies along the way, and they make some enemies along the way, and it, yeah. there is a climax, and um, they end up in you know a famous place, yeah, and all that sort of jazz. Yeah, yeah. I think that's about as far as we need to go. Really, to be honest, there isn't that much to say about the next hour of it because that's that's it in a nutshell. Um, there's a really there's some you know there's some fun bits with. Heating around in a car and not heating around in a car. Well, just before we talk about what we thought of it, remember, listeners, this we've had our first sort of bit of cheating because I told Ben, I fessed up that I'd seen this already oh, yes. when I must have been about 14, 15, something like that, and I hated it. I didn't like Melanie Griffiths much back then anyway, but I particularly, I just really hated this film. So watching it again. <laughs> yes. I could still see why my 14-year-old self didn't like it, but I really, <laughs> really enjoyed it. Did you? Yeah, I really did. But I would say... This is a thing, this, okay, this is where I'm at, dude. Yeah. Do you remember um, RZ film, which was Sinbad of the Seven Seas? It was a film that was so bad it was good. Oh, I think yes. this is classic, so bad it's good material. I really quite enjoyed it. But my main thing I enjoyed about it... Well, for a start, I was so surprised because I don't like Melanie Griffith. I do now like She's Melanie great Griffiths. in this. She's <laughs> fabulous in this. She looks really cool. She's got fantastic hair. Cool yes, car, great, great clothes. Hair. The worst thing about her personality is that she falls for this drippy tool. He's, <laughs> he's, just, so, he's the thing in the movie that I just can't stand. Like I, I, I basically enjoyed this. I don't think I, I enjoyed it as much as you did. I, I don't think I'd said it. It's terrible, yeah. but it's pretty enjoyable. I would go. I, I would. I, for me, it's a kind of you know, it's a strong C, maybe a C plus. But it's it's terrible, but enjoyable. And but mostly enjoyable because I just love her in it. She's really cool. Well, um, I enjoyed it. And oh, I, I quite like her. I, 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 certain certain set pieces I really like in it as well. In its very post Mad Maxi setup kind of way. <laughs> Do you mean the ridiculous bit involving the giant magnet and lowering the, bit the, the, the giant magnet pipe. was awesome. <laughs> 
but the thing is, uh, uh, right? Sam Treadwell, played by David Andrews. His character, he's such a whining douchebag. Oh, he's, like, he's just like, such I really want my sex robot back. And it's just like, I don't know what you've like, You're a post-apocalypse. Stop yeah. whining about your sex robot. Know, that's pretty dickhead. much all it does. And he, he sort of spends the whole <laughs> movie just going, oh, I miss her. I know. And this is the thing, because that was the biggest flaw with Melanie Griffith's character. Because you kind of think, why are you falling for this drip of a tool of a yeah. ball bag? You gimp? should just be telling him to sod off. But I, but because he was, I found him such an entertaining. Oh, and actually, one thing that made me think though is that you know, like, um, women have, have, have for years have had to put up with characters where it, films rather with just all male characters and and the female characters are just you know one dimensional window dressing. Yeah. I feel like this film maybe gives oh, flip men an insight into what that's. Yeah, like. yeah. Oh God, he is absolutely one dimensional window dressing, whereas Melanie Griffith yeah. is cool is and cool. multi dimensional. The other person I wanted to mention is Tim Thomason, who plays once they're out in Zone Seven. He yes. plays the bad guy Lester because I do think cause <laughs> he so, right, is fab. He, he's really funny. He he's this there's this kind of weird cult out in Zone right. Seven. Okay, so this is going to be an appeal to anyone who knows this movie or has seen this movie. Well, I, I'm including you in this one, Jono. Okay, what the bleepity bleep bleep happened at one at one second. They're getting attacked in a drainage thing. And then he wakes up in like a John Waters, very, very John Waters style village. And they never explain how he got there. I mean, like, never. Not only does he wake up in a John Waters style village with this lunatic and his ex-girlfriend who is just there. Well, the ex-girlfriend was is was really quite weird, and she's played by I, I wrote down her name because I thought she was really good, Cameron Miltzer. She's brilliant. She, she's a bit Eliana yeah, Douglasy in a weird way. Yeah, really. Yes, exactly that. I was going to say exactly the same thing, and yeah. she's really funny in this. Yeah, no, she's cool. Actually, I love her. Well. At the end, she's brilliant. She's really yeah. fantastic at the end. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I think what's funny about um, the bad guy Lester, um, Tim Thomason, is that I think whoever wrote this, sorry, I've forgotten the name of the writer, but like. I think they must have. Um, it's like I think they must have had be taking the Mickey out of that sort of like um, that sort of team building management speak. Cause like, oh yeah, because t- the the bad guy Lester keeps on sort of like speaking in this kind of to all his minions <laughs> in this real kind of like a kind of corporate lingo. Like there's this bit when someone's just giving him some bad news that you know like Cherry Two Thousand. Sorry, uh, Melanie Griffith and what's his name have got away. Yeah, and he and he sort of goes, I don't. Uh, I don't like what I feel. I feel anger. I'm experiencing anger, Snappy, and something like that. It's really <laughs> yeah, funny. He's quite cult leadery as well, isn't he? Yeah. Really, I guess. <laughs> and there's that particularly funny bit when what's his name? The guy manages to escape. The hero, Sam Treadwell. Yeah. And he and he escapes, and then releases loads of bees. <laughs> For the rest of the film, all the bad guys are covered in like <laughs> they've been stung so many times, so they're all hilarious. covered in like white stuff to to help the bees that is hilarious (laughs) it's funny this is the thing actually talking about this now and remembering this I am enjoying this movie right now more than I enjoyed it watching it there are little moments but I got really phased by the weird like I thought I had drifted off and I rewound it and Mm. that passage from when they were being attacked in the drainage thing to suddenly him waking up in John Waters land there is no explanation for it like is it something they cut out or is it just an artistic choice they made I do not know Mm. But did you not find it as perplexing as I did, or did you? Well, I, I mean, I, I found the whole. Th- I mean, the whole thing, seeing it again, you, it was weird for me because just having remembered seeing it before, but not really remembering any of it. But the yeah. whole thing is quite trippy. Do you know what it reminded me of in a way? Barbarella. Ah, oh, yes. Just, just because of that sort of slightly weird. Just what the hell's going on? It's yeah, they, like being they, inside they, someone's it, head. They do sort of take um, an absurdist approach to it, I guess, don't they? Yes, and I, I don't think you know. It, it, let's be clear: this is a bad film. Yeah, you know, and you can see why it was sat on the shelf for so long. Because I think the marketeers obviously thought, well, do we market this as a comedy? Is it? Is it? A, is it? Is it? You know, a Mad Max film? Is it an action film? What is it? It's definitely a comedy. I'd say. I think they're making something demi-anarchic, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But oh my god, yeah, it's really weird. And <laughs> I mean, there's another funny weird. thing is that like I don't want to say who dies because it's a plot spoiler. But um, Melanie, Melanie Griffith is about to fly a plane at one point. Yes. And just as she's sort of like beginning to take off in the in the, in the small plane, she's informed that a friend of hers who she's known for years and years is dead. And <laughs> she kind of has to sort of act kind of quite extreme grief while at the same time piloting a small <laughs> monoplane there's something really funny about it yeah 
Oh dear. There's also the fact that, that struck me that she is a tracker who has obviously done this journey a number of times, apart from anything else, because she sees people along the, this route that she knows. Mm. Um, so this, that that scene with the magnet and those people, she must have reenacted this a whole bunch of times. At what point do they not just go, "Oh, it's her again"? Let's just <laughs> let's just blow her up. Yeah, no, the whole absurd idea as well. Oh yeah, normally at this point I just drive here along the A4, then about this point I normally get sucked <laughs> up by a giant magnet and then drop down the Hoover Dam. Yeah, right. I know. <laughs> Why not go round it, maybe? <laughs> you toss back. Yeah, we could just. Have you seen the map? There's a thing. No. <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, it's it, yeah. You, you can't start poke, poking plot holes no. in it. Um. No. But no. Yeah. Look, it's really not that bad at all. It is. It is that bad, but actually, it's really quite enjoyable. It's the best film I watched out of the two that I watched. Um. Yeah, because Automata was just a bit worthy and silly, and this is just silly. Yeah. Um, and that 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 made it fun, and Melanie Griffith being great, and I just, uh, you know, she that's an era, the eighties and the early nineties, she was great. But just to be clear, I think if you're not in the mood for this, you will find it annoying because it is oh, bad. God. And and I think, dude, because we do have a listener review from lovely listener Paul who set us this dystopian. I imagine matter. he absolutely loved it. Well, no, I I have, there was, there was I a have heavy amount of sarcasm here in my voice. <laughs> I have real-time tweets from Paul because his first tweet was, "What the hell is this thing I'm watching?" And I think that's a really good one because that's kind of I think that's how you how you how you feel. Yes. Then then he said, "It's like one of those films you might watch on BBC Two at two a.m. if you had insomnia, but then weren't sure you'd actually seen it in the morning." Yes, I can then go with that. It goes downhill. This is awful. The plot <laughs> is awful. The script is awful. The acting is awful. The special effects are awful. But I'd still rather watch this than Event Horizon. Yes, I'm with him there every step of the way. <laughs> but, 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 there's more. Because then, actually, this dreadful film is kind of growing on me. And then his last, his last observation, which I awesome. think is his best, he said... I like the way all the bad guys are dressed like 80s retired golfers. <laughs> <laughs> and he's really hit the nail on the head. Excellent. They do all look like golfers. They do all look like golfers. That is absolutely perfect. Mm. It's, yeah, I think that's, that's, that is a perfect kind of like encapsulation of what watching this movie is like. It does grow on you. A bit like, mm. I don't know, fungus or something, but fungus that's quite, <laughs> quite comforting. Yeah. And it's about, the thing is, it's, it's, it's an obscure film, but not that obscure. Because again, another one of our... our, our um, uh, let's call them correspondents. Was the uh, the team from Fun Size Happy Hour podcast? Yeah, who, t- who tweeted us a picture of of their DVD collection where <laughs> uh, they yes. had Cherry Two Thousand happily snuggled between chasing Amy and Clerks. You know, alphabetical yeah. order. Very nice to see. You know, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, that's a perfect place for it to be in cult land. You know, and that's this mm, is what yeah. you can see why this is a cult movie. I think it's uh, yeah. It was obviously created to be a cult movie. There's no one was making this thinking, ha ha ha, this is going to be, you know, the new deer hunter or anything. Mm, no, no. But um, so it was obviously done with its tongue in its cheek and its eye cocked or whatever one would say. There's a big wink going on there. But and, and that makes me slightly wary when I go, oh, you're just. But actually, they, they you know, they succeeded. It's not like I they think, set out yeah. to make a sort of a, a slightly trippy cult movie and just made something bland because I would say it certainly is not bland and that is the that would be the worst crime it could commit as being bland and it definitely is not no and I think Melanie Griffith is really good yeah and I do think and I do think Tim Thomason as Lester the bad guy yeah. is really quite fun he really does bring a sort of deranged madness to it all you should um, go and watch Working Girl now yeah I know well I'm thinking maybe I will while, <laughs> while the iron is hot yeah it's definitely an offbeat film. Let's call it that. Yeah, no, it's, it's you know it's fully in cult land. But yeah, I'm glad I watched it. I definitely, you, um, I think you liked it a little bit more than me. But like as I said, just talking to you right now, I'm starting to enjoy it even more than when I watched it. So, I'm uh, I'm I'm really glad I've seen it. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I I'll watch it can, again. But I'm not. But I'm not think... sure I won't watch it again. You know, I might just throw yeah. it on one day when I feel like something a bit silly. I don't think you can call it a Z film though. No, because that's the thing. The Sinbad one that I called a Z that was so badly made. This is actually, you know, this creakily made, but it's made in a fairly professional way, mm. sort of. Do you know what I mean? So I think you're right. I can't call it a Z, but I think I don't. I can't. I can't call this a B film. No, it's, it's a not, C plus. It's Let's not, call it a C plus. Yeah, okay. C plus for enjoyment factor. I think the one thing actually that's also did remind me of, and that's partly because they share, I guess, a little bit of DNA. 
is um, one of our other previously favourited movies, Turbo Kid. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay. And they have a sensibility about them, which is kind of similar. In full agreement, I definitely prefer Turbo Kid to this. I prefer Turbo Kid to a lot of things, though, quite frankly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. I think we're done. All right, nice one, dude. Um, Well, we've had some listener interaction. We've watched two movies that we probably are never going to see again, and one that, you know, I just, I'm vaguely strangely thinking, maybe I'll watch Cherry 2000 again tonight. (laughs) Probably won't. Um, But, uh, yeah, Cherry 2000 is definitely not off my rotation. Good. Yeah, good stuff. Well chosen. I thought so too. (laughs) So that means the onus is now on me for next time. What are your thoughts? Well, something we haven't done. Um, oh, good. <laughs> yes. We're going to watch some movies we haven't seen. And we're going to go and hit a genre that we haven't watched. Now, it's something very broad. I can't... I haven't narrowed it. I haven't sort of pigeonholed us into narrowing it down yet. I might narrow it down by the time we get to record the next one. But I do okay. know what the movie we're both going to watch is. And Ooh. I figured I'd do as you did last time. We'll put this out into the ether. If anyone wants to watch it, then do. Get hold of us on Twitter at We Watch Anything. Get hold of us on Facebook, WeWatchAnything.com slash Facebook, or through the majesty of the email, which is now feeling a bit old. It's almost like saying snail mail, Gmail. <laughs> but we watch anything at gmail.com. So okay. we're gonna do documentaries. Ooh. And the documentary I've chosen for us both to watch is called I Am Your Father. Oh. No, I've not seen that. No, I didn't think you hadn't. I haven't seen it, and I figure it's something that people who like the sort of rubbish that we like... Well, actually, this isn't even going rubbish. This is so mainstream-liking, but still geeky. Um, It is a documentary about David Prowse. Oh, oh, great. Yes. Oh, cool. Because he didn't have a... He was was the body of Darth Vader, body and face of Darth Vader, until that horrific um, reboot of Jedi where they replaced him with stupid Anakin, Anakin Skywalker. Um, oh, yeah, what's his name? Painful. That horrible acting child who's I can't bother to think of anymore. Yeah, we've there. talked about him before. But yes, um, Pubie. <coughs> yes, um, Agent Christensen. Yes, exactly. So I thought it might be really fascinating. Cool. So that's our combo film, and then you're going to choose a couple more for yes. for me. The one I've chosen for you, for you I kind think, of could be cracking, but I'm not going to give it away yet. Ooh. Oh, I mean, yeah. I'm quite excited. All right, that sounds awesome. So people have got to tweet and tell us what they think of uh, what's happening. I am again, your sorry. father. I am yeah. your father. Okay, um, brilliant. Or brilliant. awesome. Can't tweet wait. in, write in, Facebook in with any suggestions for genres or movies that we can cover because having inspiration is always great. And as we said at the top of the show, if you want us to change the intro that we've just changed, if you can think of something, actually not if you want us to, just please come up with something because we had a go at it and it wasn't really that brilliant as you can see from the results. So uh, if you've got another one of those, that'd be cool because I know we've got a whole bunch of inventive and interesting listeners out there. As well, the next episode is number 20. That's going to be a big, important That episode, is a big, dude. important We'll have to do a little retro of our favourite movies of the previous ten. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, a bit of a retrospective. Fantastic. <laughs> nice. was, I don't know if that was like either Charlie Babbitt or, uh, or a coked-up news reporter. Um, but uh, we'll, yeah, we'll be back in your ears in a couple of weeks' time with the documentaries. Uh, until then, mm-hmm. watch some movies. Watch Cherry 2000, see what you thought of it. Don't bother watching the other two. Or go back and listen to some old pods if you haven't listened to them and uh, see if there's something there that you might listen to. And we'll be back at you again with the next episode. Episode 20. Woohoo! See See you then, people. Bye. Take care. I I came up with a good one. No, you didn't. Yeah, no, I did. No, you did. Did you? What have you got? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had... um... Uh, so you know what to watch on your television or or to not watch. <laughs> <laughs>